Today's show is going to teach you how to make maple syrup out of this tree. What kind of tree is this? This show is going to teach you how to sleep with your eyes open. Oh. This show is going to help you to find something to live for, and when you found it, to pursue it with all your might, to charge at it full speed ahead. Something, something, something like this. Oh yeah, just like that. And if you're not doing it like that, you're doing it all wrong. What are you living for, my friends? Do you live for what is right? And what is right anyway? And what is wrong for that matter? And who gets to decide? We usually imagine the rule makers to be like God or, or law officials. What gives them the right to determine what is wrong and what is right? Let me be the judge of that. And that, my friends, is a completely true statement in the quest of determining whether there is even right or wrong, and if there is, who gets to decide, we must search for what we call ultimate reality. And while the world does revolve around you, is there something more? The answer is yes. After crossing off animals, aliens, Bigfoot, well, we're left with only two sources we can go to in order to get answers to these questions. Ourselves, or God. We are all living for something or someone, and when we're not so sure and all else fails, we simply just live for ourselves. Listen to this story. In Texas, the death toll from Hurricane Harvey rose to at least 63 today. More than 88,000 people are living in Red Cross shelters or hotel rooms provided by FEMA. The mayor of Houston today lifted a midnight to 5 a.m. curfew, the latest sign the city is slowly recovering. The toll from Harvey includes a 31-year-old undocumented immigrant who could have faced deportation next year. Instead, he died a hero, Omar Villafranca. Has the story. My son went to a place where there are no borders. God never places borders. Rita Ruiz de Guillen remembered her son Alonzo as a caring person with a big heart. And she said the images of people stranded in Houston floodwaters affected him deeply. That's why last Tuesday he and a friend drove 120 miles from Lufkin, Texas to Houston to rescue people stuck in an apartment. They were in a boat that hit a bridge and capsized. He and his friend went underwater. The next day, his father Jesus went to look for his son's body. He is my son and I made a promise to not come back until I find him because I could not leave him there. It hurt so much to lose him. Four days later, they found Guillen's body downstream. The 31-year-old, a father and a dog lover, worked as a DJ in Lufkin. Seen here in this video, urging people to vote. Even though he couldn't cast a ballot, Guillen was an undocumented immigrant. He came to the U.S. from Mexico when he was 15 to live with his dad, a permanent resident. He signed up for DACA and, as a dreamer, was working towards citizenship. 
Guillen's mother supports DACA and says there are other young dreamers who share her son's spirit who are making this country great. The U.S. should see that there is a future for these young people. If they get the opportunity, they'll do a lot for this nation. Residents in his adopted hometown are raising money for his funeral. Omar Villafranca, CBS News, Lufkin, Texas. What was Alonzo living for? For some, he was living for others. For others, he's a damn fool, going out there in the water, getting himself killed. And for others, still, well, that's one less spick on the wrong side of the wall. Wherever you stand on the issue, this conclusion was made by ethical choices you subscribe to in that gray mass above your eyebrows. Good evening, Anchor Crew! Alfred DaCosta, your host, living for him. How are you doing today? <laughs> Today's show is going to be a replay of a five-minute clip of a philosopher by the name of Ayn Rand. You know, there are several philosophers who have come up with theories on ways the world should operate for the greatest common good, so to speak. These theories come about by very intelligent people, extremely observant of how human nature works, and have put together ideas that everyone, whether religious or not, can identify with at some level. So, as we examine some of these philosophers and their philosophies, you're going to sit back and say, wow, that's actually something I've been living by and I didn't even realize. This may be a good thing or a bad thing. Stay tuned. Ayn Rand is a philosopher, a Russian-American writer from 1905 to 1982. And she came up with this system called objectivism. And objectivism's central tenets are that reality exists independently of consciousness, that human beings have direct contact with reality through sense perception, and that one can attain objective knowledge from perception through the process of concept formation and inductive logic that the proper of well the proper moral purpose of one's life is the pursuit of one's own happiness rational self-interest that the only social system consistent with the morality is one that displays full respect for individual rights embodied in laissez-faire capitalism and that the role of art in human life is no well, it's to transform humans' metaphysical ideas by selective reproduction of reality into a physical form, a work at art, that one can comprehend and to which one can respond emotionally. Stay tuned. The fountainhead of this philosophy is a novelist, Ayn Rand, whose two major works, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, have been bestsellers. We'll try to find out more about her 
revolutionary creed and about Miss Rand herself in just a moment. And now to our story. Down through history, various political and philosophical movements have sprung up, but most of them have died. Some, however, like democracy or communism, take hold and affect the entire world. Here in the United States, perhaps the most challenging and unusual new philosophy has been forged by a novelist, Ayn Rand. Ms. Rand's point of view is still comparatively unknown in America, but if it ever did take hold, it would revolutionize our lives. And Ayn, to begin with, I wonder if I can ask you to capsulize, I know this is difficult, can I ask you to capsulize your philosophy? What uh, is Randism? Uh, first of all, I do not call it Randism, and I don't like that name. I right. call it objectivism, All right. meaning a philosophy based on objective reality. Now let me explain it as briefly as I can. First, my philosophy is based on the concept that reality exists as an objective absolute, that man's mind, reason, is his means of perceiving it, and that man needs a rational morality. I am primarily the creator of a new code of morality which has so far been believed impossible, namely a morality not based on faith. On faith. Not on faith, not on arbitrary whim, not on emotion, not on arbitrary edict, mystical or social, but on reason, a morality which can be proved by means of logic, which can be demonstrated to be true and necessary. All right. All right. Now, may I define what my morality is? All right. Because this is merely an introduction. My morality is based on man's life as a standard of value. And since man's mind is his basic means of survival, I hold that if man wants to live on earth and to live as a human being, he has to hold reason as an absolute, by which I mean that he has to hold reason as his only guide to action, and that he must live by the independent judgment of his own mind, that his highest moral purpose is the achievement of his own happiness, and that he must not force other people, nor accept their right to force him, that each man must live as an end in himself and follow his own rational self-interest. May I, I interrupt now? You may. Because... You bring, you, you put this philosophy to work in your novel, Atlas Shrugged. That's right. You demonstrate it in, in human terms in your novel, Atlas Shrugged. And let me start by quoting from a review of this novel, Atlas Shrugged, that appeared in Newsweek. It said that you are out to destroy almost every edifice in the contemporary American way of life, our Judeo-Christian religion, our modified government-regulated capitalism, our rule by the majority will, other reviews have said that you scorn churches and the concept of God. Are these accurate criticisms? Uh, yes. I agree with the facts, but not the estimates of this criticism. Namely, if I am challenging the base of all these institutions, I'm challenging the moral code of altruism, the precept that man's moral duty is to live for others, that man must sacrifice himself to others, which is the present-day morality. What do you Since mean by I sacrifice himself for others? This now we're moment. getting to the point. One moment. Since I'm challenging the base, I necessarily would challenge the institutions you named, which are a result of that morality. 
And now what is self-sacrifice? Yes, what is self-sacrifice? You say that you do not like the altruism by which we live. You, you like a certain kind of Ayn Randist selfishness. I uh, would say that I don't like is too weak a word. I consider it evil. And uh, self-sacrifice is the precept that man needs to serve others in order to justify his existence, that his moral duty is to serve others. That is what most people believe today. Well, yes, we're taught to feel concerned for our fellow man, to feel responsible for his welfare, to feel that we are, as religious people uh, might put it, children under God and responsible one for the other. Now, why do you rebel? What's wrong with this philosophy? But that is what, uh, in fact, makes... I want to thank you for joining me, Alfred DaCosta, your host, Living for Him. I am extremely curious to know what you think about all of this. Uh, coming up probably either later this week or next week, if that made sense, because I'm multitasking and unable to communicate and do two things at one time, I'm going to go pick up my son. But what I'd like you to do is to uh, think of something you want to say about that. You could be extremely angry or happy about it, either or, but what we're going to do is we're going to go through this philosophy and we're going to talk about some of the things that, well, that we can identify with. And then we're going to talk about some of the things that may be inherently wrong with this philosophy and the impact of us just deciding, well, we're going to live by this. And so stay tuned for that. And I will uh, look forward to seeing you then. I think it's, it's super good. Now, uh, I've been really busy so I haven't been able to compose so many really good thoughts but I know that the idea of an objective reality is a very sticky one because of the fact that it's attached to uh, the perception of our senses and that is such a fluid and dynamic thing now I mean there's an there's agreed upon realities based on our perception through our senses but nonetheless, it's still a very vast chasm. I work with a lot of autistic kids, and man, they're 100% human. They have a whole different way of looking at the world, though. Their senses see everything completely different than the average human on Earth. But who's to say that their perception is illegitimate? And so if we can't say that their senses and the way they see the world is illegitimate, what does their absolutism look like, right? End of the day, I just can't see anything outside of the potential of a purely subjective reality. Even though that we can come to agreed upon conclusions based on the collective input of our collective senses into an idea, a situation, or a, a physical object, the, the reality is, is that nothing is concrete. I mean, like they say in quantum physics, all possibilities exist until they're observed. And I find that super fascinating and a big lean away from objectivity. But I don't think that that destroys objectivity. I just think that it requires massive empathy to go with it. Life with Kurt. Hey, what's up, man? Yeah, I, I listened to your station where you were saying that you're having some trouble with your station, and you uh, you have been missed. I want you to know that. Um, I do enjoy listening to your content, and um, but you know I really enjoy your your input on this subject because 
you can tell that you have a practical example of something you've dealt with that kind of um, speaks of objectivity um, in the field that you work in, dealing with um, people with autism and, and knowing, of course, that they have feelings and they have souls. And, but you're talking about the way that you interpret um, people's actions or words. Or, and sometimes people, it, it doesn't fit the model of what Ayn describes and something that I'm hoping to do here probably later on this week or um, sometime next week is to describe some of the, to actually add to, you've already named a couple of them, which just really goes to show you're, you're very much wired to this kind of thing, to understand it and to really imagine it, put it into perspective because I had to study to get to that. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's a class I'm taking and, and some of the things that you mentioned definitely resonate with what um, I'm actually going to be talking about with some of the problems with um, this theory, but also there's there's some things in it that we can uh, that we we can relate to um, because there are things that we do and we don't even realize. Um, so as far as that's concerned, thanks for that that input. And then there's something else um, that you said that really resonated with me. Oh, you said it needed a lot of empathy, which I completely. I really wished for more on that because you ended your thoughts on that, but that is so true, and that's another aspect we're going to be talking about with that. So um, look forward to that, and I'm looking forward to your input, as I definitely respect what you have to say on these matters. So good to hear from you, man, and I'll uh, be in touch.